Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show's Champions League review. We are four games into this season's competition and Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and Man City all have maximum points. Manchester United are underachieving. Celtic don't have a win and Sevilla are vaguely on course for the Europa League. It's all very shocking and surprising stuff happening so far. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to talk about the highlights from match day four, a man who just ate a McMuffin in front of all of us, Taylor Rockall. Hello. Hello. I tried to mute as much as I could because there's nothing worse than eating on mic. But uh, when it was a rough morning and you need to eat, then you do what you have to do. Gentlemen, I appreciate your tolerance. Of course, of course. And we really appreciate the muting because, as you say, (laughs) that's the worst. I am also still sick, so there'll be a lot of muting, I think, on my end. uh, But hopefully not when I'm speaking. We'll see. If I succeed in unmuting myself in time by the end of recording, uh, if there have to be edits. Okay, well, I'm glad you've got some medicine from your favourite Scottish restaurant this morning anyway, Taylor. Glad to hear that. (laughs) Uh, Joining us from the actual Scotland, Graham Ruthven. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? Um, Taylor, I'm interested in your McDonald's uh, choices. Interested that you're not a McGriddles man. Frankly, is that... Because McGriddles are garbage. That's why. Please, come on, Joe. Let's be Uh, civil here. Gentlemen... I'm Team Joe on this one. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm usually just a straight up sausage biscuit person. Uh, my wife went today and she got me the egg McMuffin, which I always forget is delicious, especially sausage McMuffin. Wait, with just egg. egg McGriddle? No, so, uh, sausage McMuffin. With okay, egg. there Thank we you. go. Uh, the McGriddle one, it just feels it's an abomination. It's it, too. Yes. It is yes, too it is. much flavor and it is too much stuff that like I get. And I will make pancakes, sausage biscuits, and egg, or biscuits. Sorry, I will make pancakes, sausage, and then eggs myself and make that into a sandwich. But the, like, syrup-injected pancake, it, it feels like it's created in a laboratory as opposed to a kitchen. So, so just to clarify, you're okay with the actual meal itself, mm-hmm. but somehow in the process of assembling it into a, sandwi- a sandwich, that's where you're not okay with that. It, just it, ju- it just feels very clearly like they came up with like a maple syrup flavoring that they add to the batter. Like it, again, it just feels like it came up in a test tube that they then made into a sandwich. Versus, in, in, is, an there a, is there a meal thing. at McDonald's that wasn't come up with? In a, I was in about a test to head tube. that argument off of the pass. I was about to head that off of the pass. The reality is, Graham Taylor's correct. I think all of McDonald's has that energy to it. But the the difference with the little maple infusions into the pancakes is that they taste bad. So that's the distinction, <laughs> as opposed to the rest of the egg McMuffin, that's which tastes good. So, so that's Joe Lowry joining us, listener. By the way, thank you very Joe's much for it. joining us, Joe. Joe's got um, it. I like to think I'm quite up on fast food, but I've never heard of this McGriddle uh, meal. It sounds when when Graham said that um, I'm McGriddle's shocked by man, that. I thought he was talking about his neighbour, Jim McGriddlesman, who, like, is one of his vigilante <laughs> friends in Glasgow. Hey, Jim. Uh, that, that's someone else. That's Jim, Jim. We'll leave Jim out of this, and we'll focus on the McDonald's <laughs> breakfast menu for, for a moment. McGriddles are good. I'm, I'm standing the McGriddle here. McGriddle is the uh, is 
the Philadelphia Flyers mascot's Scottish cousin. That's a, that's a joke for eight people. I liked it. I did too, and I hate that idea. I was smiling on the inside. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you'd like to support the show, uh, we have bonus episodes there. We have video content, and we have access to our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out. And we promise we won't go on extended runs talking about McDonald's breakfast menu items on there. Well, actually, let's not. That feels like the home of uh, those sort of discussions, the TSS Patreon. (laughs) Indeed. And this, Graham, is the home of Champions League soccer discussion. We have the reverse fixtures from the last match day, so some familiar matchups on this one, uh, and some similar results also, although some dissimilar. Let's discuss that. We're going to go through alphabetically <laughs> through the groups. Why don't we start off, Joe, with Group A? I think we have to um, make clear here. I, I feel like maybe I'm not going to issue an apology, but we talk about Manchester United a lot on this show, and if that is wearisome. We have to counter with the fact that they have lots of storylines because they're a chaos disaster. Is that fair, Joe, to say at this point? They lost 4-3 to Copenhagen, we should say, uh, in another blow. Another wacky game for this week as well. They surrendered a 2-0 lead. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland, excuse me, with a brace against his hometown club. A very controversial red card for Marcus Rashford. Some strange officiating decisions. But once again, we find ourselves talking about that chaos club in red. I guess other teams need to do even worse than they already do. If Barcelona had lost by more goals, maybe we could have done that instead. I want to be clear to listeners. I told everybody before we started that if this Man United segment goes for more than 10 minutes, I might have to leave because I think we're all a bit fatigued about some of this stuff, but Manchester United continue to deliver in new and unique ways when it comes to their chaosness. They lose this game 4-3, Ryan, as you said. They're now bottom of the group with Galatasaray and Bayern Munich still awaiting them to finish out the group stage. This next game, they've got Galatasaray next, is massive. And that will probably, not guaranteed, but will probably decide second place. Things started well for Manchester United in this game. The first goal that they scored, so it's it's Hoyland's first goal of the game, makes it 1-0, and it is a beautiful Goal. I don't know if you guys caught the full build up to this, but the play from Manchester United to build out of the back, they draw... Copenhagen's press forward. Manchester United play down their left, Copenhagen's right. They switch to the opposite side. They're forcing the defense to shift. Then Aaron Wan-Bissaka plays Scott McTominay, Graham's favorite large adult son, into the box. And McTominay cuts the ball back to Hoyland, who scores. And all of a sudden, it's 1-0. And, like, that's the goal. That is maybe the only goal this season, or, or one of a very select few, that I feel like Eric Ten Hag can point to and say, this is what we're trying to do. Like, these are the types of goals, the principles that we've been working on. This is how you actually see it play out on the field. And then they go up another goal, Manchester United. The problem is the red card sort of unravels things and there's a whole VAR discussion that's happening that I don't personally care to wade into. The red card changes the game a little bit and then Manchester United can't maintain the defensive focus, especially in their own box, to see this game out. So I thought there were building blocks here, to be honest, but I'm not sure that anything really can be built with how things are currently structured with Manchester United. I don't disagree with anything Joe has said. I think this is a very confusing game because... I think if you take it in a vacuum, it's a like B, B minus performance. But if you look at it within the context of everything that's been happening, then it's like a D plus because it's another loss and they choked, choked away a 2-0 lead and there's a red card and blah, blah. But, but I do think, to Joe's point, those opening minutes when they go up in the first 30 minutes, when they go up 2-0, I think that is the sort of 
statement that would have been the statement for Eric Ten Hag of what they're trying to do. Yes, it's against Copenhagen, who are not the strongest team in Europe, but they're not a slouch either necessarily. And I think the way they score that first goal, Joe laid it out really well, uh, is very impressive. It also features the huge Bruno Fernandes switch to Marcus Rashford, who brings it down perfectly with his first touch. And Rashford certainly didn't have a great game, but he had moments like that where you're reminded he has significant skill. They get the lead, then they're able to sit off a little bit more, then they're able to kind of press when they want to, step when they want to, they win the ball, they score their second on the counter, and it felt to me like this is how Eric Ten Hag wants them to play, and it felt like it was moving in the right direction, then there's the red card, then there are two uh, stoppage time goals, and it's 2-2 two to two at halftime, and I think at that point it felt like the game was, was at best going to be a draw for Manchester United, they're able to get one back with a penalty, and then they go on to lose because I think they're all just kind of gassed and people are playing out of position. And so I don't come away from this saying, oh, here we go again. Things are chaos. Is Eric Ten Hag the right guy? It just felt like another very strange game that could yeah. have been one thing but ended up another. I have to imagine this was easier for Eric Ten Hag to react to in that dressing room at full time. Yeah. Yes, there's all the kind of chaos scenarios, which Manchester United just seem to have a knack of producing this season. But there is a lot for him to point to, even in that second half, when Manchester United, yes, OK, the reaction to going a man down in the first half is typically Manchester United this season. They're 2-0 up and within 10 minutes of the red card, they're paid back, paid back to 2-2. But they come out for the start of the second half. Ten Hag makes a change. Sofian Amrabat comes on. He keeps the threat of Garnacho and Hoyland um, up front, which I think helps Manchester United maintain that attacking threat and stops them from being uh, pegged in against Copenhagen. And for a period of that second half, even after being reduced to 10 men, it felt like Manchester United were in control of the situation. They then get a, a dodgy penalty kick. I think the, the Harry Maguire one is also a dodgy penalty kick. I don't think either really are penalty kicks, uh, but nonetheless, that's a, that's a different discussion. And at 3-2 up, I'm thinking Manchester United are actually going to see this out. Of course, that was incredibly naive of me, and Manchester United continued to be Manchester United. But from a football point of view, there is a lot for Ten Hag to take from this game. And this is going to sound mad, considering Manchester United have just lost to Copenhagen. They're bottom of their Champions League group. I think they've probably given themselves too much work to get out of this group now. Um, but I think this potentially could be a minor turning point for Manchester United. They've got Luton yeah. at home at the weekend, which is a very winnable game. And if they win that match and use the principles from this performance, then maybe they can start to build some momentum. I fully agree, Graham. I think that's really well said. Because, uh, And I also don't want to spend 30 minutes on Manchester United. I'm aware they're a team that I support. Not everybody does. Not everybody wants to hear about them. But I think it is interesting because this result will be seen. It's like, oh, it's Manchester United being Manchester United. It's the chaos of this club. Graham, you made like three different comments in there about it, which are all understandable. But at the same time, I don't really see this performance as the typical like, oh, they made a bunch of mistakes and they gave it away or people stopped marking or people stopped doing what they were supposed to be doing. It felt like everybody was up for it. Everybody played as they were supposed to. And the red card really hurts them and the penalty decisions hurt them. This is a game that fully has pushed me to not liking VAR anymore, which is a shift for me. Yes. I, I've been a fan of VAR. I've been nominally or m like mostly in support of it. But f because of the way it's officiated this game from a Manchester United perspective, but also Copenhagen, I don't think that, that the penalty for Manchester United's third goal should have been a penalty. That felt like a ridiculous decision as well. And it does feel the commentators kept talking about re-refereeing the game. And I, I don't love that as a as an idea, because I think it just gets even murkier. But for me, 
it is just that same old reviewing one clip 20 times in super slow motion makes things look worse. And, and I do agree with the commentators, the Rashford red card, everyone who has played soccer knows exactly what he's doing. He's stepping across to put himself between the ball and the man, and either he's going to shield the ball and turn and play forward, or he's going to draw a foul. But the player tries to go around that, and Rashford, as he's putting his foot down to step across, steps on the player. There's no intentionality there. I, I would say at most it's a yellow card because you could say maybe he was being reckless with the way he went across. But when you replay it and then it looks more and more like a stamp and then you only get the close-up of the the foot on the ankle, it looks horrific and it looks like it's going to be a red card. But I think if you take the replay away and it's just the referee watching it, the referee's not going to give it and didn't give it. So yeah. I, I think it's just it is a game for me not just because it was Manchester United involved but because it was just a series of – you know that that shouldn't have been a handball. You know that shouldn't have been a red card, but VAR is always going to make it look worse. It has me really, really out on VAR at present. Yeah, so first of all, Taylor, welcome to the club. Yeah, uh, We'll burn you. the whole thing to the ground together. Let's I'm glad it. for Let's your companionship in that. Um, just on the, the Rashford red card, is, is it maybe fair to say, Taylor, that your, your issue is with the law itself in that specific instance? So with the two handballs, I went through and read the IFAB laws and... There is a, there's, there's wording in those laws about essentially it's to account for ricochets or bounces off like a knee and then it hits a hand. And both of those handballs, I didn't think fit, fit, they didn't fit the letter of the law. The Rashford one with tackles, it talks about endangering an opponent. So I 100% agree in that Rashford is, he's going into that to protect the ball. He's not actually going to, 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 to injure a player or really get anywhere near a player. But I would contest that he doesn't he does endanger an opponent in that action. By the way, Joe is loving this conversation. Ten yeah. minutes on Manchester United and refereeing decisions. This we're is the Joe. On, we're well, back on the time limit here, Graham. <laughs> well, but like Graham, let me ask you this. Like, what 50-50 challenge doesn't present risk of potential injury for a player? Like, I would say anytime you're going into a challenge, you do run that risk. Anytime there's an aerial 50-50 and you're going up for it. You can't control the way you're going to fall. If there's a bump, if there's maybe a slight push, it affects things. And and so that's where I think a little bit of common sense is required and a little bit of, hey, we are both going in for that one too hard. Like maybe we both get yellows or something like that. But I think when you start looking at it from like from the perspective of, well, like there was potential risk there. There was a potential potential risk of injury. I just think it's a contact game. You're always going to have that risk when there are challenges. And that's where a referee is supposed to bring common sense and bring mm. some level of of control of the game. If it were getting out of hand and we're getting overly physical, like the Copa Lib final that we talked about on Monday, that to me is where you start handing out cards to stamp that down, to be like, everyone's getting too physical. There's too many challenges, too many steps on people. We got to just start throwing out some yellows so we can't, like ratchet down that energy. That wasn't the case in this game. It just felt to me like the case of VAR saw a stamp and said, hey, there's a chance for a red yeah. card. Go look at it. Well, there were three instances in this game where there were no appeals from players. I don't think fans would have had any issue. If, and, and that feels like where VR is really becoming an issue is where it's actually creating these controversies rather than just having a free-flowing game, Agreed. which this was for the most part. Um, on Monday night, the Chelsea Spurs game, there was a, um, Christian Romero got away with something in that game and they used a, they used a wording that I'd never heard before, which was 
petulance, um, not malice was the wording that they used. I, I, I'd never heard that as (laughs) Dibs on that is my autobiography, by the way. (laughs) Well, I think that would be Christian Romero's autobiography. That's the the title (laughs) sorted for that one. I quite like that. I quite like that. But you are getting into murky territory of trying to determine, um, or second guess what, what a player's intent is. And so I think the, the way the, the law is worded is just to make it as clear as possible. Ironically, it feels like that has ended up in even more murkiness. I Two kind things. of love the idea. Sorry, Joe, Joe really Joe, make briefly. It stop. Make it Wait, stop, Joe. Joe. Joe, really briefly. <laughs> I would actually even be sort of in favor, as weird as this might be, of VAR trying to determine intent because I've done that before. I remember the, the Jermaine Jones slap game where he slaps, I think, an Ecuadorian player in the face. And it's so quick and so brief and so difficult to see. But you see him sort of turn and look at the guy. The guy clearly said something. And then he bodies up to him. And then it happens really quickly. And in that replay, you can see intent. And if you saw Marcus Rashford look down and see that foot and then the foot goes, there's intentionality there. Like, I think VAR could be used in that way. I think it'd be interesting if we got the slow-mo close-up replay of the foot stamp and then a slow-mo close-up replay of where are Rashford's eyes looking? What is he trying to do there? I think there can be some intentionality incorporated. Alternatively, this is where we test Elon Musk's Neuralink chips. No, thank you. And we just chip every... Okay, sure. (laughs) Bad idea. All right, Joe, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, great. Awesome. Uh, The one thing I wanted to do here is... Joe, we've kind of gone long on VAR. uh, I don't think anybody... take a break. Sorry. I don't think many folks out there that are listening to our show are, are big Copenhagen fans. If you are... I'd love to hear and, and hear more about the story. The atmosphere in this game in Copenhagen was absolutely fantastic. The yeah. stadium was incredible. That was lovely. I wanted to shine some light on, on Copenhagen here because they won this game. Manchester mm-hmm. United lost this game. We should talk about the team that won this game. I was also very, very impressed with the fight back from this Copenhagen team. I thought you could see pretty early yeah. on that they were the second best team on the field in the first half. The second goal that they give up is is brutal, right? One center back steps forward. And heads the ball right to Bruno Fernandez, and all of a sudden Manchester United are in not quite four v one, but they have a huge advantage going in the other way, and Rasmus Hoyland finishes. So not a great start from Copenhagen in this game, but they take advantage of the Rasher red card towards the end of the first half, a lot of stoppage time, and they go from two nil down to four three up by the time the final whistle blows. I have a ton of respect for what they did here. They're still alive in this group, and I don't think they're going to get out of this group. I don't think they're going to finish in the top two. But still, they took advantage of relatively poor defending from Manchester United in the second half. They continued to apply pressure. They were sharp with their off-ball movement in the final third. Runners crashed in the box from out wide. Like, they did a lot of very, very good things. Not at the start of this game. Again, I think they were second best to begin with. But by the time this game finished, they'd closed the gap. And more importantly, they actually had the lead. Yeah, Rooney, Rooney Bargy coming off the bench best in the, 60, the best 63rd name. minute. Yeah, I very much love the plot twist of a player, a 17-year-old called Rooney scoring the winner against uh, Manchester United. But he looked fantastic when he came on for uh, Elian Nussi, who, who also scored in, in, in the first half. And I saw uh, I saw Sam Tai, the new football manager is out this week, Sam Tai saying he's going to sign him in football manager. I am also going to do that because, uh, yeah, he looked like quite the talent. Well, you're going to lose him to Real Madrid at some point. I saw that quote from him after the game that one day I will be the best player in the world and I will play for Real Madrid. That is my career aspiration for Rooney Bargy. And I like that 17 years old, he has obviously the technical ability, but I did get a little bit of that physicality and dynamism to the way he plays so they're like the the bargy part also feels sort of appropriate for his game so rooney and bargy together it's one of my favorite names and it was a great goal 
even if I hated the result. All right, I'm going to barge you in and wrap up the Man United comp- uh, Copenhagen conversation here. As Joe mentioned, uh, they've got a game away at Galatasaray awaiting them where they have never won and they're hosting Bayern Munich who don't tend to lose Champions League group stage games. Uh, boy, uh, elsewhere in the group though, Joe, Bayern Munich two, uh, with a 2-1 win over Galatasaray. Of course, it was Harry Kane who got the brace for Bayern. Yes, it was. It doesn't feel surprising at all. At this point, Harry Kane, the first goal comes off of a really nice free kick from Joshua Kimmich. It's right on the money, and Harry Kane finishes it off with a nice header. And then the the second goal comes off of a really kind of cheap counterattack that Galatasaray give the ball away. Bayern Munich have a lot of space to quickly go into in the attacking half. Harry Kane was awesome in this game, but really what impressed me more about Bayern Munich, especially coming off of... It was this past weekend that we had the the Bayern versus Dortmund game. Mm -hmm. Coming off of that game where the attack was so sharp... And, and to be clear, the attack was sharp again here for Bayern, even though it took them 80 minutes to get on the score sheet. They created better chances. They created more chances. They were goal dangerous. The thing that impressed me, though, was the defending. And they concede just at the sort of like the last stroke in this game. They almost get out with a clean sheet. But at that point, the goal didn't really matter. What impressed me was when the game was still in jeopardy and when it wasn't clear that Bayern were going to pick up three points. I thought in general, they did a good job of controlling the ball. And in the few moments where the center backs had to do some recovery defending, Opamecano and, and Kim and Jay, I thought, did a really good job in those moments. So not a not a flawless performance from them, but I think we've all identified that if there's going to be a weakness in this Bayern Munich team, and we've seen bits and pieces of it throughout the season so far, even though it's young, if there's going to be a weakness, it's it's going to be their ability to recover in some of those defensive transition situations. The elite teams need the absolute best center backs at doing that stuff. And the jury's very much still out on Open Meccano. This is sort of a, a slightly different experience for Kim Min Jae. Those are the two that start this game. Those are, are two players that have big responsibilities for this Bayern team. And overall, if I'm Thomas Tuchel, I'm feeling pretty encouraged about how my team performed without the ball prior to the 93rd minute. Wonderful stuff. Any more, Graham, on this Bayern game? Should we take a break? What do you feel? Just some of the numbers around Kane are pretty astonishing. I think he's got like 19 goals in 16 games and Bayern Munich's top scorer last season had like 15. So he's already surpassed that. He's doing okay is the summary there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's Group B time. Going to talk Arsenal, going to talk much more. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League review. We go alphabetically to Group B and Arsenal's 2-0 win over Sevilla at the Emirates. Trossard and Saka with the goals in a pretty comfortable win here. Sevilla, of course, won the Europa League last season. Still no wins in this Champions League campaign, though. Um, uh, Graham, early on in this one, Kai Havertz with that header he missed. Did you see that? It was in like the first minute 
it was that was uh, my highlight of the game. Um, it, was, it was quite something. I did see that, but jog jog my memory again. Is it's quite a bad mess, isn't it? Cross Havertz. comes in, uh, had had a had a clear at goal. Sort of just goes down into the floor and um, uh, wasn't what he does in training. I imagine. Yeah, well, I think that's a common theme with Kai Havertz uh, as a player in general. That's a little bit harsh because I, I think there was improvement from Kai Havertz in in this game. And um, he played on the he was playing on the right side of the midfield three, but he was pressing as part of the front two alongside Leandro Trossard, which is the other maybe most interesting talking point from this game is that Leandro Trossard stands starts as the uh, as as the number nine. But out of possession, it's it's that front two of Havertz and Trossard. I thought they were pretty effective as that as that front unit. He was finding good areas. I thought he was making sharper decisions. I just thought he looked more comfortable on that right side because so far he's been playing on the left side of the midfield three. The issue is, of course, that Martin Odegaard will be back soon. He's out injured. That's why Havertz plays in that position. And Odegaard is still a better fit and just a better player in general than Kai Havertz. So, yes, this was a positive performance for Havertz, but I'm still not really sure if he's more than a squad figure for this team in the long term. And that is fine. Arsenal, they want to be fighting on all fronts. They want to be in the title race in the Premier League. They want to be competing for the Champions League. They're going to need high quality squad figures. But a £70 million or whatever it was Havertz uh, cost, a £70 million squad figure puts a level of expectation on Havertz that I'm not sure he can actually match. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to connect this back to Manchester United because just Yay. as I don't think that game really like fits the present narrative of that club, I'm not sure that miss from Havertz fits that narrative of like how people perceive him either because I, I keep seeing it referred to as like misses a sitter, misses an open header. Like it's a header at the back post. The keeper's there. There's defenders in front of him. He sees it late, I think, because there's traffic around him. Uh, the XG on that one was .08. Joe, uh, you are the, the XG uh, expert here. I'm inclined to say that that means not a high probability of scoring. Is that correct? Yeah, .08 is not a good yeah. shot. So so to me, it, it feels more like that is the narrative. Like if that were Jorginho missing that header, maybe that's a bad example. But if that were Trossard missing that header, I don't think it's even remembered or talked about. But instead, there are nine different videos on YouTube of Havertz misses sitter, Havertz misses clear-cut goal. And I I don't know if that's fair. I think that's more people enjoying mocking Kai Havertz because of the money spent. It's the MLS yeah, All-Star Skills Challenge curse, Taylor, is what it is. And we I all mean, know it. It's, of it's it honestly well. embarrassing that nobody said it so far, so I'll go yeah. ahead and do it. Thank you, Joe. Thank <laughs> the, you, Joe. The curse is real. Um, someone who hasn't been cursed by by the Skills Challenge is Bakayo Saka. And maybe he isn't helping Havertz's case, just like pinging ones in from 30 yards and making it look like no big deal. I thought Hazard was... Wait, Hazard, what am I talking about? Saka was, was excellent in this game and having him on the on the wing Sevilla Sevilla tried to like prevent the space in behind and the problem they, they were going close to Saka but the problem is that Saka can turn you so easily and in a split second and he did that for the, the for the first goal he cuts it across for Trossard for the easy for the easy finish so Saka in this form he's been out injured for a, for a little while or at least has been carrying an injury but this game was the first time I felt he was back to kind of full form and fitness yeah I think he limped off at the end as well so hopefully he's okay for the weekend is Bakayo Saka um, even if that- he's not Arteta will play him that seems to be the pattern <laughs> just play him into fitness that's how it goes yeah that's the way the human body works wonderful stuff Arsenal with a 2-0 win they're putting them top of group B in second place with five points it's PSV who got a 1-0 win over Lons Luke de Jong with the goal in that one uh, is that a boo is that a boo moment yeah it's supposed to be Ricardo Pepe scoring all the goals and got if it. it's not then I will boo got it very well he didn't it was Luke de Jong uh, so the bad de Jong 
PSV uh, is uh, going through as things stand. Lons and Sevilla with five and two points in that group, respectively. Over in Group C, with the, one of the early kickoffs, we had Napoli facing Union Berlin. Union Berlin, who can't win for love nor money lately, got a draw. <laughs> uh, they got a nice uh, uh, goal on the break from Fafana here, uh, cancelling out Politano's earlier effort. Anybody catch well, this one? You say on the break, Ryan, I feel like that's kind of understating this goal. It was a lump forward from the back. There's one player forward for Union Berlin and a second player joins in and, and, and gets the How's even. How's that not on the break, the Graham? That's on the break, right? Uh, well, yeah, but on the break, when I think of a, a like a well-constructed counter-attack or, or break, I think of like quick interchanging play and different runs, pulling defenders in different ways. This was absolutely stereotypical Route 1 football, but Union Berlin, they needed something, and uh, after 12 straight defeats, they got something in this game. The problem is for Union Berlin, and and I know we just talked about them, the three of us, on listener questions earlier this week. The problem is they kind of needed more than something in this game. They're mathematically still alive in the group with two games remaining, but they're bottom of this group with one point. Braga's on three, Napoli's on seven, Real Madrid's on 12. Real Madrid are going to be fine, but taking off points from Napoli, more than just one, and sagging a couple of extra would have been huge for Union Berlin in this game, who I thought played fine. Like, in, in general, they were okay in this game. Yeah, Napoli get 27 shots. The vast majority of those shots are from very, very bad areas. A lot of them are from outside the box. Union Berlin back in their 5-3-2 defensive shape in this game. Brendan Aronson on the bench. Like they, they do some good work defensively. The problem is when you're up against a team like Napoli with the quality that they have, and they're still a very, very good team, even if they're not obvious Serie A title winners. When you're up against a team with the quality that Napoli has, you have to be so incredibly sharp defensively. And the amount of pressure that Union Berlin were under, Napoli had 73% of the ball. When you're under that much pressure, it's so hard not to break. And and Napoli's goal is obviously when Union Berlin break. It's good circulation from right to left from Napoli. Ends up with the ball at Marco Ruiz's foot on the left side of the box. Low cross in, really difficult to deal with. Sort of corridor, corridor of uncertainty adjacent in that moment. And Napoli have the ball in the back of the net after a little deflection and and a finish. Union Berlin just couldn't quite see out a little bit more of what they actually needed in this game, which was three points rather than one. Indeed. Uh, Real Madrid are through to the next round, as are by Munich, by the way. They have maximum points after a 3 0 win over Braga. Uh, Brahim Diaz, Vinicius, and Rodrigo with the goals for Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham on the bench. No, yeah. no goal heroics from Jude Bellingham. Cursed. The curse is real, yeah. R- right. Uh, he has an injury at the moment. He's out with a, a shoulder injury. So, yeah, we definitely cursed this uh, this poor boy. <laughs> Ryan, did you look up, though, just to see if he had scored? Because it did feel like the easy intro was, like, Manchester United lose, Harry Kane scoring, Jude Bellingham scoring. It's all, like, a- as we expected it to be. And I feel like that's the route you went, but you were forced to leave out Jude Bellingham scoring. And for that, I apologize. Cursed Jude Bellingham's shoulder and its relative injury. Goodness me. Ruining my intro. You're quite right there, Taylor. Uh, yeah, but Real Madrid cruising through without too much issue mm-hmm. here. Carlo Ancelotti, Taylor, good at the soccer's in terms of management. Uh, Yeah, surpasses Sir Alex Ferguson with this win uh, as the manager with the most wins, 116 in all of European Cup history, which is no small feat given. Do we all remember that Carlo Ancelotti managed Everton? Because I sort of forgot that until I was reminded of that looking at his his resume. Uh, So uh, not a lot of European Cup wins uh, while managing Everton, but still 116 in all. Uh, massive credit to him, and I think what he has done with this Real Madrid team and how he has sort of shepherded them this season is uh, especially impressive. 
almost as impressive. Would anyone like to guess how many Champions League uh, wins Pep Guardiola has? 9,000. All of them. Uh, So, (laughs) Carlo Ancelotti has a record with 116 after, I believe, 1,300 games. I don't know if that's European games or just all of the matches he has coached. Pep has 104. Pep is 12 wins behind the all-time record. So, I would assume that Pep Guardiola will at some point uh, overtake that. And by at some point, I mean maybe this season? Well, I don't think there's 12 more matches this season, but still somehow he'll manage to do that this season. Yeah, that that feels about right. How many of uh, Ancelotti's wins, Champions League wins, came at Everton? Taylor, by the way. I think, I think like half of them, I'm pretty sure. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> the, the Everton thing feels like such a fever dream with Ancelotti. When I was at Goodson Park last week, I was talking about that with, with a pal and like we were, we were speculating that. Remember when Rubinho signed for Man City and he definitely, definitely thought he'd signed for Manchester United. Do you think that's what happened with Ancelotti? Like his agent was, was like, do you fancy a managerial job in Liverpool? He's like, yeah, cool. Turns up wrong club in Liverpool and just gets <laughs> out of there as quick as he can. Yeah, he was about 500 yards short of the stadium he wanted to be at, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. All right. Why don't we head over to Group D where Real Sociedad got a 3-0, a 3-1 win over Benfica. Excuse me. Graham, if, if um, Leverkusen is Taylor's uh, continental team of choice, are Real yours? Yeah, potentially. So I feel like I haven't really had a, a chance to talk about them this season. Am, am I forgetting when I went on like a 10 minute monologue about La Real this season? I feel like maybe I might have done that at some if you point. Are because... to do it now, but go on. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. Um, they've been very impressive this season and this was one of their best performances so far. So they were 3-0 up after 20 minutes and that really did reflect just how they were plowing through Benfica who were completely overwhelmed. The speed that they play at, the rotations in the midfield and into the attack, particularly on the left side where they have Michael Marino and uh, Baranachea, they are so dangerous. It pains me to think how Kieran Tierney would fit into this squad, but he'll be he'll be back soon enough. He's out injured at the moment. I'm excited for that prospect. Uh, Oyathabal, he, it feels like he's reached a new level this season, and it's been as this. So previously he's been a wide forward, but he is now this sort of mobile false nine sort of centre forward and the way that he dovetails with Takikubo on the right side that then creates space for Branache on the other on the other side. They are just such a well coached team with some really talented players. I saw Zubimendi being linked with um Bayern Munich earlier this week that is the concern with the January transfer window coming up is that a few of these players get picked off but uh, 15 of their matchday squad for this game came from the the youth academy and Imanol has coached a lot of them he was he's come up himself from the youth academy he has coached a lot of these players all the way through from the youth ranks up to the senior team so even if they do get a couple have a couple of those key players picked off in January or, or next summer it feels like there's a conveyor belt there a consistent conveyor belt and they're just a very very impressive club I, I don't think they're quite in the realms of being like La Liga challengers or Champions League challengers but they're not they're maybe like a tier down from that and for a club mm. like La Real that is impressive that is impressive Graham they are through to the next round uh, they're top of the group at the moment Will anything they do this season or furthermore in their history top the moment when David Moyes was their coach and he got sent off into the stands and started eating potato chips with yeah. the fans? Does anything top, the, top that? The crisp thing is is just iconic. It's a fa- another fan, right, who offers yeah. them crisps yeah. in the stands. That's an incredible moment. All-time so legal moment. I have a slightly heavier question. Uh, there was uh, fan violence in this one, both, I believe, in the stadium and outside in the streets. Um 
Joe, I know Phoenix games can get rowdy, but I'm mm. mostly directing this question to Ryan or Graham. Uh, have any of you all ever been at a game where there was violence either in the stadium or around the stadium from supporters? Like, Graham, I'm guessing there's been an yes. old for, from Darby yes. or two. Can old, you, old friends, yep. Do you get, like, is there a vibe? Is there an energy? Can you tell mm. that that's coming? Can you tell that something's going to happen? Yeah, Celtic Rangers game certainly. It's it's weirdly it's obviously the the old cliche, but like there's calm before all the madness sort of happens. You can mm-hmm. kind of tell there's a tension. Yeah. yeah, I think I described when I went to the uh, Wimbledon Chelsea game just before I uh, moved back here in uh, in the summer. Um, going through the stadium there, there's just this feel in the air. I think I described it as being slightly feral, where there's hmm. sort of boys who are basically misbehaving and should be doing should know a lot better, and you can feel. It, this just needs one little thing yeah. for it to kick off. A, lo- a lot of darting eyes, I would mm. say, is is how I'd describe it. Yeah. How do you mean? Like people just looking around, like oh, nervously. Somebody want, and also, like, I've been to several Millwall games where there are people who are that there not to watch the field. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you're an away fan at Millwall, you'll have the people who are closest to you watching the away fans all done. They don't even look at the field. And, so, and in those situations. Do you feel like, are you able to know how to navigate that, how to get away from it? Or have there been times when run, you're just like, suddenly, away. that's what I'm like, is it just like run the other way? Is it mm-hmm. like, oh, there's going to be, maybe it's going to be over in this area, so I'll go the other way. Or can it just sort of boil over at a moment's notice? Just, just keep your distance. It. No, just get amongst it. <laughs> yeah, get amongst just it. wait in. <laughs> Ryan and his Lululemon with his Starbucks just waiting <laughs> into the fighting. <laughs> Hold my latte, I'm going yeah. in. You don't really have a hooligan vibe, I've got to no, say, Ryan Bailey. No, that's true. That's a, true. No. a gentleman's hooligan, Ryan Bailey. No, don't rip uh, my Lulu, don't rip my Lulu, Ryan cries as he makes his way into the scrum. <laughs> All right, let's move on from this conversation. It was pumpkin spice as he just gets pulled into the mass. <laughs> RB Salzburg with a 1-0 home loss to Inter Milan elsewhere in Group D. A Lautaro goal settling that one. And as I mentioned, this group is actually sorted. It's just the Europa League places to play for with Sociedad and Inter going through. Salzburg and Benfica, who still have no points in this group, uh, going for that Europa League place. Uh, Let's real quick go to Group E, shall we? Where we had... Atletico Madrid scoring six unanswered goals against Glasgow oh Celtic. Yeah, oh boy indeed. Griezmann and uh, Alvaro Morata both scoring twice in this one. Celtic having a man sent off. Um, Graham, this was, uh, on balance, a bit more one-sided than the draw yeah. market a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, this was a complete mismatch of a game, especially after the, the red card. Celtic have had four red cards in their four Champions League games this season, which certainly hasn't helped their, their cause at all and isn't doing much for the, the stereotype of Scottish football. Uh, I suspected that this would be a, a comfortable win for Atleti, even if uh, if Celtic had kept 11 men on the pitch. As you say, Ryan, Celtic did pretty well against Atleti in, in Glasgow. There were periods of that match that Celtic were the, the better team. But yeah, this is where Atleti's quality really shines shone through excuse me some of the some of the goals in this game I must say were spectacular mm. Morata's second goal was was my favorite it's an absolute lash into the top corner Lino I think as well. it's gone yeah Lino's goal was very good as well from the from the left side um every goal was good in this game which felt a little bit harsh on Celtic given that um you know it wasn't like Atleti were tapping the ball in from six yards out but on, on the balance of the game I think 6-0 probably was a reflection it was a it was a real beatdown Graham, how much have Celtic missed Ange Postacoglu? Obviously, Brendan Rodgers now the manager. How much have they felt that? I don't know that this game is a sign that, oh my goodness, they're yeah. they're crumbling because there is a big quality difference here. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And last season, Celtic finished bottom of their, their group in the Champions League as well. So I'm not sure, you're right Joe, I'm not sure if Ange is in charge. There's much of a difference here. But generally speaking, I would say Celtic have missed Postacoglu a lot. They're kind of flailing around looking for an identity at the moment. It's a lot more indiv- individualistic. One player who has definitely um, not, benet- not benefited from this is Cameron Carter-Vickers, I'm afraid to say. He hasn't been as good this season. He had two excellent seasons under, under Postacoglu, one of the best players in Scotland. I even thought in the Champions League, he was very good last season. He just looks a little bit erratic this year. It doesn't seem like he knows where he's to be in defensive phases, playing out from the back. He doesn't look as composed. So Rodgers is a good manager, but there are levels to this, and I think Postacoglu was clearly a, a level above and Celtic are missing him. Indeed. Uh, elsewhere in this group, Lazio with a 1-0 home win over Feyenoord. A very good win for Lazio that was as well. Chiro Immobile with the goal there. I did enjoy uh, Maurizio Sarri uh, ahead of the Rome derby this weekend saying words to the effect of, we fought a war in this game, whereas Roma are playing Slavia Prague, it's basically a warm-up game, which is a bit uh, harsh. Uh, Slavia Prague, they're playing them like t- uh, Thursday as we record. Uh, so two days after that game and also in mm. Prague so maybe they won't be as rested as yeah. uh, Sorry is suggesting Mourinho should should show Sari his uh, Europa Conference League tattoo to, to get his, his point across that mm. you know these competitions really do matter and it's not just about the, all about the Champions League Indeed, indeed. Well, nice to see them sparring off this week ahead of that derby. Atleti, top of Group E with eight points. Lazio with seven in second, then Feyenoord and Celtic behind them. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's the Grupo death, as we're calling it, with Dortmund's win over Newcastle and Milan's win over PSG back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back everybody. Let's go to Group F and more specifically to the San Siro where Milan pulled off a 2-1 win over PSG, a comeback win no less with Rafael Leal and Olivier, Olivier Giroud or Giroud or however Jamie Carragher wants to pronounce that name on the CBS broadcast. Graham, Graham do it, do it, Graham, do it. Giroud! I can't really do a <laughs> Carragher impression. What are you talking about? There That's my guy's Jamie Carragher impression. Oh, very good, very good indeed. Milan's first Champions League win of the season here. Uh, heat off purely, off arguably a little bit after this one once again. Uh, the standout moment uh, before kickoff, certainly, um, Joe, I don't know if you saw this, the Donnarumma protest from the home fans. Mm. It's his first time back at the San Siro facing Milan. They produced dollar rumours, so dollar bills with Donnarumma's face on them and Mercenario written all over. Them. You see Mbappe laughing as well mm-hmm. at, at Donnarumma. It was it's a good joke, Donnarumma. I like that. Yeah, I saw Mbappe doing the chant as well that they were doing, which was <laughs> none too kind. There's um, I saw a tweet from Nicole Emery explaining the money that the Court of Asud, uh, made and collected uh, from selling the fake dollars. They sold a bundle of them each for two euros a piece. That went to football schools in the area of Milan to buy them uh, shoes and balls and shirts. Uh, and the statement said, so we never have to raise people without values like this unworthy one again. Wow. Wow. Just fired. And uh, my favorite comment on Reddit after reading that was ultra groups are really just dudes who are into arts and crafts who sometimes fight people. <laughs> Also, like they're into fire as well. I think we have like to Milan. That. Milan has never sold one of their best players ever. That never happens. Like no. it's mm. it's very selective thinking in my mind to be mad at a player for taking a deal that pays him a lot of money, but yeah. not be mad at the club who constantly sell your best players for a lot of money. Counterpoint: This was funny, and um, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> what I will what I will say is Milan got the last laugh in this game, right? So after getting not not quite drubbed, but they struggled in that three 0 loss. The last time around. Also, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. It is a bit weird how the Champions League schedules these games where we just got Milan PSG. We just got Dortmund Newcastle. We just got Manchester United Copen. Like the way that they schedule going one, two, three, three, two, one, and you get these back to back reverse fixtures is weird and sort of takes some of the shine off of these games. In, in some ways, though, it does make it easier for us to compare one performance to the next, at least of these teams playing against each other. And Milan were night and day better in this game than the last game against PSG. In that previous match, we talked about how Milan really struggled on the ball. They struggled to to move the ball out of pressure. They didn't look quite cohesive yet. It still seems like this team, with a lot of new players in it, is struggling to figure out how to gel. In this game, they looked a lot more cohesive. Milan go down early, thanks to a goal from Skriniar in the ninth minute off of a corner kick from Vitinha, who is amazing. That was going to be incredible and amazing all-in-one. He's absolutely amazing delivering those set pieces and is tight in in midfield as well. But Milan, they find a lot of joy through their wingers in this game, and they find a lot of joy through Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This was his first start for Milan since September, and he's been dealing with an injury. He came back in in Serie A off the bench recently. This was his first start. And other than losing Skriniar on the PSG goal, which is a a big no-no, but in terms of the open play stuff, 
from Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He was really sharp and brought another level of cohesion to this team. He was the most advanced of the midfield 30 along with Reinders and, and Yunus Musa. Milan just looked a lot more dangerous. Leao was on his game. He was decisive. He has a role in both of, of, of really a lot, oh, excuse me, a lot of Milan's danger moments in this game. Scores a goal in the, in the 12th minute to make it 1-1. Riding challenges along the way. I thought there was a lot to like from Milan. A team that throughout this season has been close but not quite. And, and I'll be honest, I still think they're kind of close but not quite there yet. And I'm not sure if they're going to get there this season or if it's going to take another year with a similar core, if they can hang on to Rafael Leao. But one thing is is pretty clear about this team at this point. They are functional enough. They have enough talent. And the purely tactical approach of, of sort of playing to his players' strengths as much as possible and being a bit flexible seems to suit them fairly well. This team is is not an easy out. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, they're still a work in progress. But I agree, Joe. You can see the quality that they could have or do have, and and the team that they could become in in the future. I thought the midfield was where the big improvement was for them. Not just Ruben Loftus Cheek, who I thought was the best player on the pitch. Um, I agree with what you outlined, Joe. But um, Reinders was very good in that midfield unit. Musa slightly unrefined at times, but I thought in terms of like physicality and providing bulk in the center of the pitch, because that was obviously where we talked about uh, Zayar Emery in the first game and how good he was in, in, in Paris felt like he wasn't able to have the same influence PSG weren't able to get a grip of things in the centre of the pitch to the same extent so that was where the big improvement was but in terms of individuals I think we got a reminder of how good Rafael Leao can be in this match as well and contrasting it to the last game again um, it was kind of a flip the, the whole, PSG very impressive in, in the first game Rafael Leao not so impressive in this game Milan much better Leao also much better he won the most duels completed the most take-ons, had the highest expected goals of any individual players. Interestingly, he also won the the possession the most times uh, of any player on the pitch, which was important for Milan. That Leao did get back and help out on the defensive side, because obviously we can see, we've seen how PSG can just run through opposition teams, and that didn't really happen um, in this match. It did happen in the first match, so in a number of different ways, individually and collectively, this was a huge improvement for Milan. And uh, a bit of relief that Christian Pulisic's injury isn't many more serious yeah. than, it, uh, than it may have suggested when he came off, Joe. Yeah, listeners will already know whether or not he's on the U.S. roster for these uh, games coming up in uh, next week and in, in the week after for the United States against Trinidad and Tobago. If the U.S. do well in those games, they're headed to the Copa America. And if they don't, then they're in trouble. So big games coming up, even against a low-quality team, ones that the U.S. need to win. Christian Pulisic goes down with a hamstring injury late in this game, sort of hold, comes up holding his leg, has to come off the field, and then we get news later on that it doesn't seem to be anything too serious, and then he's day-to-day. So I don't really know how that impacts him on the national team side of things, but certainly good to see him not suffer a serious injury because it, it's felt like in the past that every time Pulisic hurts his toe or you know snags a fingernail, he's out for a, a couple of months. Oh, those those dreaded fingernail snags do They'll get you up for several weeks at a time. They They'll will get, get you. you. They will get you indeed. All right, so we jump now to the Westfalenstadion, where Borussia Dortmund pulled off a 2-0 win over Newcastle in the early kickoff. I'm, I'm going to say Tuesday. Time is a flat circle. Uh, this one also was some interesting protests. They weren't throwing fake dollar bills on the field in this one. They were throwing fake gold bars on the field uh, from the yellow wall in this one as a protest against UEFA's proposed Champions League reforms. They had a banner reading, you don't don't care about the sport all you care about is money uh that is Dortmund facing a Saudi owned team in a competition that is already uh you know 
a little far gone when it comes to... <laughs> was was that deliberate, do we think? Because I initially thought it was a protest against like state ownership and the fact that they were playing Newcastle United, but then it was clarified it was about the reforms. But surely mm. Newcastle's a factor in the timing of that, right? One would think so. One would think so, Graham. Yeah. But either way, it meant the entire field for the entire game was covered in stuff, which was also... Yeah. The gold, gold bars is an interesting choice for mm. something to throw on to the pitch. Like, the construction of a, of a fake gold bar feels like it would be more complex yeah. than, like, the printing out of banknotes, like the Dollarima thing. Love the analysis gold bars, that you're I, bringing, Graham. I was never, I've just never, no, I've yeah. never seen gold bars thrown onto... Like, I've seen tennis balls, I've seen dollar bills... Gold bars is an interesting that's, choice. Was that's, it Scrooge McDuck that was deciding the protest from the Dortmund fans? <laughs> yeah, he got them out of the vault. But you make a very good point. If you make them hollow and out of, say, cardboard or, like, shiny cardboard, how are you going to get the purchase yeah, to throw them? you need them? something. You need, like, you need some weight in yeah. them to get a distance. And if you do there's, get weight on them, questions. they're super dangerous. There is, that's <laughs> a very good point. I'd love to know about that construction. But I'm sure they were expertly German-engineered, Graham. Uh, of course. As, as you would expect. Uh, Graham and I talked about scarves on Soccer 101 this week, and we talked a lot about how, like, you, you tend to be able to buy scarves right outside of a stadium before the game. Graham, I don't think I mentioned in that broadcast, one of my other favorite memories from Turkey was that the two things you could buy most easily outside of a stadium were scarves and then old, outdated cell phones because you were allowed to bring in two cell phones into a game and people would buy an old, outdated cell phone to then throw it onto the pitch. So that is the other way you could have gone with this if you were German, is maybe take an old phone, you wrap it in like gold aluminum foil, or you color that aluminum foil gold, and then you throw it, and now you've got the weight behind it, Ryan. Hang on. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've got even more questions. (laughs) Why would they have a two-phone rule? They're just asking you to throw one of them on the field. (laughs) Yeah, and also, if if one of them is like a Sony Ericsson from 2005, you know that's not being used to check Twitter during the game. It's my work phone. Uh, actually, I think it was a single cell phone rule uh, that you could only have the one. And so people would leave theirs uh, and then buy one to then be able to throw it onto the field. All right. Uh, well, should we talk about the game slightly, Graham? Any, any thoughts about uh, uh, Newcastle I'm, falling here? I'm not sure I can follow up that discussion with any thoughts on the game. But here we go. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty strong response by Borussia Dortmund, obviously, after their hammering against uh, Bayern Munich at the weekend. The injuries that Newcastle have at the moment was a factor in this game. And it was the first time, I know I know that's been a thing for Newcastle for a few weeks now, but it was the first time where I've watched them and it felt like Eddie Howe felt the impact of that and was trying to build the plane while flying it and he makes changes at half time Livermental starts on the right um, side of the attack in the first half he then goes back to right back which is, is uh, uh, his natural position Trippier goes over to the left side of the defence for the start of the second half and Newcastle looked a little bit more settled in that second half but when they're 1-0 down, they're chasing the game and that's how Dortmund then scored the second goal through Julian Brandt. So between the injuries and the fact that Dortmund were good in this game, they were getting in between the lines pretty effectively. Schlotterbeck kept on doing this thing where he had time and space to step into central midfield and then play passes out into the wide areas or in in behind the first line of the Newcastle press. And Newcastle were getting turned pretty easily and Dortmund had loads of players um, heading towards the, or crashing the, the opposition penalty area. So Dortmund were good in this game, but I feel like had Newcastle got their set up um, correct from the start and maybe if they'd had some of their key players fit and available, this might have panned out differently. I just didn't like... Well, there's two things I didn't like about this game. One, that Giorena doesn't make it off the bench. That's black mark number one against this. And number two, it looked like it was Dortmund against Werder Bremen with the jersey colors that Newcastle had. I'd forgotten that they have their new Saudi kit. Um, so that sort of uh, explains yes. all of that. We had the nice green on yellow, which makes perfect sense. Excellent. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, great. Uh, Dortmund top of the group with seven points. No wonder they love this current format. Uh, they uh, are ahead of PSG with six points, uh, Milan with five, and Newcastle with four. Just a three-point spread in this group of death after four match games. How will Dortmund bottle it? Let's find out in future weeks, <laughs> listener. Uh, in the meantime, let's go to Group G. Uh, Man City with a 3-0 win over Young Boys. Haaland with a brace there. Uh, took his Champions League goal tally to 39 in 34 games. That's not bad, I suppose. Um, not a super competitive game there for Manchester City. A red start with a 2-1 home loss to Ebi Leipzig as well. Leipzig are through with that one. This group is settled is Group G with City going through with maximum points. Leipzig joining them on nine points and Red Star and the Young Boys both on a point apiece. Uh, last group to cover off is Group H where we had a shock result, everybody. Shakhtar Donetsk with a 1-0 win over Barcelona. In Hamburg. Mm. Barcelona missing out on becoming the first side to reach the Champions League knockout stages with this loss. Uh, other teams have obviously subsequently overtaken them to do that. Uh, this, uh, an interesting one. I feel, Graham, like Shakhtar play Barcelona a lot in this competition. They have beaten them before <laughs> in this competition also. Well, the reason you feel like that is because they did play each other two weeks ago, as uh, Joe Joe mentioned. So, yeah, we've been here before. Just before we maybe um, start talking about Barcelona and some of the things that are maybe going wrong there, just a quick beat on on, on Shakhtar, because this is a fantastic story. Now, obviously, Shakhtar Donetsk, they have real pedigree in the Champions League. They have they've made latter rounds before. They've been around for a long time. They've um, have they won the Europa League, the UEFA Cup in the past? I think they they might have done. Um, So it doesn't have Shakhtar beating Barcelona doesn't have the shock factor of say Sheriff Tiraspol winning at the Bernabeu Mm -hmm. a couple seasons ago but the context of this is that Shakhtar haven't played at their home stadium for I think nine years at this point you mentioned Ryan that this game has been played in Hamburg they're playing their Champions League matches outside Ukraine due to the the Russian invasion there they lost all their foreign players when the invasion started because uh, UEFA allowed them to leave for nothing they allowed them to exit their contracts so this is a club that's had a huge amount of turmoil it's an entirely homegrown team that is having to play they're playing some domestic games in Ukraine but other games in Hamburg they're, play, they're playing other games all around Europe um, so this result means a huge amount and I think football is really special when you get stories like this so obviously Barcelona with their talent advantage this is a poor result for them but a fantastic story for Shakhtar Graham uh, 2009 they won the Europa League I thought they had. I would pluck, pluck that from my subconscious. Did well they play done, like sir. Dnipro in the final or something Werder like that? Oh, okay. Close, but go. no scar. Graham's got the away kit from that season. He's, uh, of course. He's, he's in his hipster <laughs> catalogue somewhere, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. Uh, yeah, well done to Shakhtar on that one. Barcelona, not very good in this game. Uh, one more to cover off. Porto with a 2-0 win over Antwerp. Pepe becoming the oldest ever Champions League scorer. 40 years and 254 days old he was when he banged in that injury time header this week. Uh, quiz time, who was the previous holder of the oldest goal scorer in the Champions League? Anybody got it? Zlatan? Yeah. Uh, Zlatan was your suggestion, Taylor? He's was Italian. It? He's uh, from Rome. Oh, he Totti? From- yeah, Totti? there's your boy. Francesco Totti was 38 years and 59 days old, the previous record holder for being an old. Makes an old like me feel good when old players do things. Wonderful. Uh, Porto, uh, they're in second place with nine points in Group H. Barcelona also a nine points top in the group. Shakhtar with six. And Royal Antwerp with a Royal zero in the Champions League so far. There we go. Another Champions League match day down, guys. Only a couple to go. Taylor, feeling good? Feeling good about the group stage? Um, In some ways, (laughs) yes. And in other very specific ways, no. 
Good. Very well. All right. Let's wrap this episode up. Thank you, listener, for joining us. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you would like to keep supporting the show. But for now, Graham Wortham, your wisdom on the Champions League and all other things is appreciated as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, you hooligan. (laughs) Joe Lowry, thank you very much for joining us and for sticking through that uh, tough Man United section. Hey, keep your gold bars, folks. Keep your gold bars. Indeed. And Taylor Rockwell, thank you again, once again to you, my good man. Hope that McMuffin went down well. It did, and uh, to you, I throw my cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) Listener, do not throw your cell phone. Keep on listening to the Total Soccer Show. They're on. Uh, We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye!